Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hello, one and all. Welcome into the Vivid Seat Studios from LB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you with another fine podcast. And the reason why this podcast is firing in all cylinders is because we've got Steve Gardner of USA Today joining me in the second segment. He is out there in the DMV area. He has seen the Washington Nationals up close in, per- in person. We're going to be asking him about both of these series. So going to be a great chat there. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board in something I like to call touch them all. First things first, we have to get to the Twitter mailbag. As always, if you have a question that you'd like answered on the podcast, feel free to tweet that in at GNRSquare D1. Always send that into the timeline and not the DMs. My DMs are much like you trying to go back to your ex-girlfriend, one of those situations where it's not going to go well. Meanwhile, if you want to start fresh and anew, you go to the timeline. Unfortunately, did not get any Twitter questions today, so we move on and we take a look back at yesterday's NLCS Game 1 between the Washington Nationals and the St. Louis Cardinals and try to find a little bit more about how to gauge postseason from it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. To say that the St. Louis Cardinals offense did not show up in this one would be generous, but what was very generous was the St. Louis Cardinals fans giving a 
big hand to Anibal Sanchez. And if you want to be one of the fans in the stands this MLB postseason at some of these games, or maybe the MLB just isn't your fancy. Maybe you like going to college basketball games, NBA games, or maybe you just like going to concerts in general. Vivid Seats has you covered for whatever event tickets you are looking for. If you go to the Vivid Seats app, you're a first-time customer, and you type in the promo code OVERTIME. That is all one word, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. You're able to get up to $100 off of all tickets, no matter whether it's for concerts, games, what have you. Just type in that promo code OVERTIME, and you're able to get up to $100 off of all of it if you're a first-time customer. But taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, Lone hit of this game wound up coming off the bat of pinch hitter Jose Martinez. Anibal Sanchez, who looked very good in his start in the divisional series against the LA Dodgers. He had it once again, seven and two-thirds innings of one-hit baseball. Can't say enough about him. And then Sean Doolittle was doing very little to give up anything in general. I hope you like that one, as he wound up getting the final four outs of the game from there. And for the Washington Nationals, they wound up just leaving a whole bunch of men on base. If you had the over, the Washington Nationals might have had a chance to go over all by themselves, but they were just 2 of 12 with runners in scoring position, leaving 13 men on base. But they were able to get a nice RBI hit off the bat of Howie Kendrick to really help their cause out the man that was able to hit the grand slam that sent the Washington Nationals to the series. And for the Washington Nationals, you take a look at the lineup, all but one position player wound up cranking out a hit for this team, so that was big. And for one, Miles Mikolas, he actually wound up giving a good start. You can't pin this loss on him. Six innings pitch, he gives up one earned run, bullpen from there. So you do want to note that the St. Louis Cardinals for the year had a top five bullpen with regards to ERA for the regular season, but they were in the bottom eight with regards to bullpen ERA the final 30 days of the regular season. But to say that they were bad in this one would also be a big stretch. Giovanni Gallegos wound up giving up a run out of the bullpen, but that was it. This was just a really low scoring game. And we've seen quite a bit of that in the postseason. Steve Gardner, I have a feeling, has a little bit of a conspiracy theory as we've seen 11 unders this postseason, nine overs and one push if memory serves me correctly. It might be 12 unders, but by and large, we have seen more unders and overs, and the favorites have actually been a little bit over 500 by and large for this postseason. I think that favorites have covered 13 games so far, but the Washington Nationals able to cash as a small underdog, and you do want to note that the weather was not necessarily the best for hitting conditions out there in St. Louis as well, so it was a very good win for the Washington Nationals, who now lead by a count of 1-0. to Now, if you're taking a look at the series price of the Washington Nationals, started out at most places before Game 1 at minus 125. Currently do not have a number up since I'm sure that the books are recalibrating, but you gotta think that it's quite hefty, and something else that is quite hefty the amount of great insight Steve Gardner of USA Today is going to be giving me next on both of these postseason series, and that is coming up right here on MLB Overtime. Greg is phoning a friend and going out to the Azunia Hotline. Back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Vivid Seat Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest. He does terrific work out there for USA Today. He does a lot of fantasy sports and he's just an all around great baseball guru covering a little bit of everything. I know that he is more towards that DMC area, so he's had a chance to see the Washington Nationals up close and in person. And I believe it's actually the DMV area, not the DMC area. Is I like run DMC personally, but you know what? Both of them will do. And 
You know what? This man will do as a terrific Twitter follow as well. Ed, Steve A. Gardner is joining me right now. And Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Thank you so much for joining me. And as I was alluding to, you've seen the Washington Nationals all year long. And Game 2 is going to see Mad Max Scherzer going on the mound for the Washington Nationals against Adam Wainwright of the St. Louis Cardinals. As we do this podcast, Game 1 already is in the books. What do you expect from this game? Because we saw Wish Scherzer back half of the year after he came back from the injured list. He was out himself, but ever since the playoffs began, he's been looking a little bit better ever since that shaky start against the Brewers. Yes, he has. And I think that was one of those things that the Nationals brought him back slowly so that he would have some time to kind of build up his strength. They didn't want to push him because if you do that and he has a setback, then you jeopardize him for the postseason. I think they played it pretty much the best way possible. And so now they have Max Scherzer. You know, they brought him in in relief. He pitched a scoreless eighth inning in the division series. And that's the kind of guy that you want. You want the competitor who will go on the mound and do anything it takes to win. And I think that's what they've got in Max Scherzer. He's lined up for game two and game six. I think the Nationals have things pretty much, you know, they they would love to have started the series with him. But pitching him in game two and game six is not a bad fallback. No, not at all. I totally agree with you. And it is one of these situations as well with Washington Nationals in that we know how they've been structuring their bullpen as well. These starters have really been coming out of the bullpen. We saw with Patrick Corbin twice in that series against the LA Dodgers. Max Scherzer came out and gave the semen inning. Steven Strasburg came out of the bullpen against the Milwaukee Brewers and legitimately, without them doing that, I don't think the Nationals are in this spot right now because we've seen guys like Fernand, oh no, Rodney, and guys like that just not looking out of the bullpen for this team. And when you put out there the starters, it's much more liable. And you have to throw a lot of these bullpen stats out the window because you're using completely different guys. Well, that's true. And I think the fact that the Nationals were playing in the wild card game, you know, that's a one game, one and done. In a five game, best of five series, you can bring those starters back and pitch them in relief. I don't think it's going to be that easy in a best of seven series, especially the three games in Washington coming up. You can't have your starters go in any of those. You've got to go with a four-man rotation. I don't think anybody these days is able to have a starter go back like they did 30, 40 years ago, have their starter go game one, game four, game seven. Doesn't work that way anymore. The starters need the rest. So that's why you'll see Patrick Corbin in game four, you know, then go back to Anibal Sanchez, I think, in game five. That's one of those things that you just can't do because of those three games in a row. You need all of those bullpen members to contribute. And I think that's one of the things to really pay attention to in this series is, you know, the Nationals bullpen had the worst ERA of any major league team during the regular season. And the Cardinals bullpen was extremely shaky in the division series. You know, closer Carlos Martinez nearly blew that lead in the, what was it, game two of the division series. That's that's one of those things that we will definitely watch because both teams want their starters to go deep because it lessens the burden that they, they'll have to have the bullpen pick up. I totally agree with you as we've got Steve Gardner joining me right here on the podcast. And when it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals side of things, we saw them absolutely erupt for those 10 runs in the first inning against the Atlanta Braves. Don't think we've ever really seen anything like it in postseason history. That was just an absolutely unbelievable game. 
But with that said, outside of that one inning, the St. Louis Cardinals have been a little bit shaky with their offense. Paul Goldschmidt had a good year this year, but it wasn't quite up to Paul Goldschmidt standards. We saw guys like Marcel Ozuna and Paul DeYoung during the regular season. Belt out 29 home runs, but they're hitting in the neighborhood of a 240-ish. Tommy Edmond and Cole Wong stepped up, but by and large, this is a St. Louis Cardinals team that they're not necessarily terrific with regards to batting with regards to their batting average, you're not awful, but at the same time, I think the Nationals certainly have a leg up in this series with guys like Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto being able to do a bit of everything. Yeah, this is an interesting Cardinals team because in this era of home runs flying everywhere, they're more of a pitching and defense team that uh, doesn't necessarily rely on the home run that much. You know, in that 13 to 1 game, they did not hit a single home run. <laughs> you know, they put together and manufactured all of those runs with base hits and walks and errors and stuff. So I think that's one of the things to, to watch out for because the Nationals certainly can go deep. We saw the clutch home runs from Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto, certainly Howie Kendrick with the big grand slam. You know, they've got guys that can hit the ball out of the ballpark and the Cardinals do too, obviously, but they're not as reliant on that. They need to play picture perfect defense and they need their starting pitchers to go deep. So it's kind of a contrast there in, in teams. You know, the Nationals, I think, had the second best offense in terms of runs scored in the National League, second only to the Dodgers. So, you know, they have the offense to back that up, but the Cardinals they've got to play a little bit more precise and string some hits together and steal bases. They ran an awful lot during the regular season. I think that's something that's underrated as well, because in this day and age of baseball, we don't look at stolen bases as much, but I remember Trey Turner during the 2018 regular season actually led the league in regards to stolen bases as well. So the Nationals have a little bit of that as well. Stephen Gardner is joining me right here on the podcast. The New York Yankees and Houston Astros Two teams that don't necessarily run as well, and they're going to be doing battle for game one of the ALCS tonight as well. As we just found out before this podcast, that's going to be Zach Cranky against Masahiro Tanaka. I think that this is a very interesting matchup, and one that I think that is a little bit underrated because Zach Cranky went 8-1 and one with the Houston Astros ever since getting traded, but he by and large has not been much of a strikeout guy in Houston. Meanwhile, with Masahiro Tanaka, he certainly has given up the runs, but if you throw out that just absolutely hideous start he had against the Boston Red Sox, which he gave up 12 runs in about three innings, he actually has not been bad down the stretch. No, exactly. I think this is a redemption game for Zach Granke because, you know, he did not have it in game three of the division series and was not good. And I think that's one of the things, you know, people are now starting to question him and, you know, can he perform under the spotlight and, you know, a notoriously shy guy in, in private and he doesn't like the spotlight. True. But does that mean he can't perform? Hardly. I think he will be looking at this as an opportunity to kind of reestablish his reputation as one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. That's the storyline from the Houston standpoint. Masahiro Tanaka, again, playoff veteran. You know, he knows what to do, what to do. He's been in these situations before. And yeah, you're right. He did pitch much better down the stretch to the point where he's a, certainly a fine pick and a logical pick for the Yankees to be their game one starter because he's been there before. You know, James Paxton started game one of the division series and got lit up. That's one of the things, too, I think the Yankees are looking at in picking Tanaka over Paxton when both of them will have plenty of rest. And with the Yankees as well, they're trotting out there a lineup that we haven't seen all year long for this team because they certainly didn't think going into the year that Gio Urshela and Cameron Maven was going to be giving them 
good at bats. And then you bring in Edwin Encarnacion at the trade deadline. He was banged up for much of the year. John Carlos Stanton is back. And I think that this is a Yankees team that could legitimately be able to win this series because while the starting pitching is a total mismatch in favor of Houston, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I would argue that Tommy Canely, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman, and Adam Montevino, those four relievers, is the best four-headed monster out there in the big leagues in the bullpen. No question. It's the Astros starting pitching against the Yankees bullpen. You know, which one breaks first might provide the the first crack in the series, give the other team the edge. Uh, Interesting thing you pointed out about that Yankees lineup because Giancarlo Stanton was injured for part of the season. Aaron Judge was injured. Gary Sanchez was injured. Didi Gregorius started the season on the injured list. That lineup that they put out there for every game, all three of those games against the Twins in the ALDS, had never been a lineup that they used during the regular season. So they used that lineup three consecutive times. I think they ended up, the stat I saw, they used 155 different lineups in 162 games during the regular season. That's how jumbled the Yankees lineup was because of injuries and everything else. But now Aaron Boone has settled on a lineup with DJ LeMahieu at the top, Aaron Judge at that number two spot, Brett Gardner hitting third. Interesting there, but it's working for them. And then Encarnacion, Stanton, and everybody else. That's pretty scary if you think about it, that they can trot that lineup out there and that just demolish the Twins and they're only using it for the first time this year in the playoffs. Very interesting. And you're right. The Yankees certainly have a definite shot at knocking off the Astros. We've got you know two teams that combined for, what, 210 wins during the regular season. These are definitely two heavyweights. I do agree with you. And while we do have some good pitching, as Steve Gardner of USA Today is joining me right here on the podcast, what we also have to take a look at is the fact that when it comes to over-under rate with regards to totals in baseball, the New York Yankees played over 60% of their totals to the over during the regular regular season. Meanwhile, the Houston Astros, they scored the most runs per game of any team at home as well. Now, Garrett Cole, 15-0, including the postseason in his last 15 starts. He's been lights out. Justin Verlander obviously did not have it in short rest in game four, but by and large, I don't think anyone's going to argue when you say that he's a top three pitcher out there in baseball. What do you think wins out the starting pitching of the Houston Astros or that lineup of the New York Yankees? Because I think that this is one the classic battles of opposites because I just am really intrigued to see this. And I think that we've got a Titanic clash. Yeah, it's power versus power. And one thing to take note of, and I've seen some articles about this over the last few days, about how it seems like that the baseball that has been flying out, record-setting home runs, these Yankees almost set a record because the Twins beat them by one, but both of those teams had the most home runs in any season in Major League Baseball history. The ball is not flying as far during the postseason. Now, conspiracy theorists and, and everything you know can come out. The data says, and I saw this from uh, Rob Arthur from Baseball Prospectus, the ball, there is more drag on the ball in these postseason games than there was at any point during the regular season. So some of those long fly ball outs, I watched all of the games of the Nationals and Dodgers very, very closely, was at Nationals Park for their playoff games. You saw some balls that were just crushed fall short of the wall and into fielder's gloves. So that's something to keep an eye on. If that's the case, 
It neutralizes the Yankees' advantage in terms of power. You know, Giancarlo Stanton is going to hit it out of any park, no matter what. But some of the other guys, you know, the DJ LeMayhews and the Glaber Torreses and, and guys like that, if they don't square the ball up and barrel it up, then there's a chance that the ball ends up in an outfielder's glove and not going over the fence, whereas they probably did go over the fence during the regular season. So I think that's something certainly to watch. Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander are overpowering all the time. It may give them a little bit more of an advantage when you go power versus power. It's going to be one of these things that wins out and... I just have to wonder for the New York Yankees who they're really going to be trusting if they do get into a game six or a game seven because they've got a bunch of intriguing options. In game one, we've got Masahiro Tanaka going for this team. As we just mentioned, he looked a little bit better down the stretch. He certainly had some shakiness during the regular season, but he's actually proven in the postseason that it postseason that he's been solid. James Paxson did not necessarily look like himself in that game one start, but down the stretch, he was the best starter of the New York Yankees, and I believe the Yankees have won each of his last 12 starts. Or do you go to Luis Severino, guy that's only pitched five or six times so far this year, but he's actually looked very good, and I would argue has the best stuff of anyone in this Yankees lineup as well, and it just leaves me thinking that the Yankees actually do have a lot of options when they get late into the series. They do. And another thing, you know, Jay Happ has been relegated to a bullpen pitcher. He's one of those fly ball pitchers that if indeed the baseball is not flying as far as it did during the regular season, he becomes a more effective weapon now, too, if he can keep the ball in the ballpark. So maybe he doesn't see any action at Yankee Stadium, but Minute Maid Park is more of a pitcher's park, surprisingly enough, even with those Crawford boxes just sitting there begging to be attacked with a home run to left field. Houston is more of a pitcher's park than it is a hitter's park. So I think that will be interesting for the Yankees to see how they negotiate the games there, one and two in Houston, and possibly game six and game seven if it gets that far. I agree with you as Steve Gardner is joining me right here on the podcast. And Steve, what do you expect from these two series in general? Because a lot of people would say that the Astros are more of a favorite than either the Nationals or the Cardinals. That's a little bit more of a pick series when I saw the series price come out a few days ago. Nationals, a slight favorite in that one. I do give a little bit of a lean to the Nationals with their starting pitching. And I certainly think that the Astros are the favorite, but I would not be surprised if any of these four teams win the World Series at this point. No, not at all. I think both series will be very close. I think one thing, though, too, when we're watching the these championship series, obviously the Yankees and the Astros are the two best teams in baseball this season. So while they may you know slug each other out, it could be a long, drawn-out seven-game affair, and nobody would be surprised one bit. That could open them up to a possible weak spot if the Nationals or the Cardinals wins in, say, five games and can get some extra rest. So I think that's what puts a lot of intrigue now in what happens in these two series because of how they match up and funnel into the World Series. We've seen teams, I famously remember, a St. Louis Cardinals team 2006, maybe 2004, somewhere 2006, I think, where they snuck into the playoffs and faced off against the Detroit Tigers team that was just a juggernaut. And one of my colleagues, Bob Nightingale, predicted in that World Series, Tigers win in three. That did not happen. The Cardinals came back and were winners. So that's something to be thinking about as we move through these uh, these series and point toward the World Series. 
I do agree with you and Steve. It is going to be just absolutely amazing to watch these next two series and the World Series as well. Let the good people at home know where they can find a little bit more of your work since I know that you're doing a terrific job with USA Today and you've been all over the baseball scene this year. Everything from spring training and the games that were played out there in Japan to now and now you're really able to hone in on these teams and you're really able to give some great insight on some games that I'm sure are going to be absolutely joyous to watch. Indeed. Thank you, Greg, for those kind words. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Steve A. Gardner and you can interact with me throughout the playoffs. I'm on there all the time, especially during the games. And if you want to look at some of the things that I write, You can uh, check out usatoday.com, all of our MLB coverage. I'll be writing throughout the playoffs. And also, I've got a a Facebook page, too, where I collect all the stuff. If you want to check me out, it's stevegardner.sports on Facebook. Terrific. A big thanks to Steve Gardner of USA Today for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now we are able to give you a play on an ALCS and an NLCS game. And that is coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And a little something I like to call Touch Them All. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to Steve Gardner of USA Today for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Vivid Seat Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time of the podcast in which I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays is going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at JuniorSquarty1. We've got one thing locked in in the New York Yankees versus Houston Astros game. The other three plays are going to be pending, and even though the games are starting to wind down, as I've only got two games to preview today, there's no shortage of betting options with our good buddies at MyBookie. If you go to MyBookie.ag today, you are able to get your first deposit match dollar for dollar with my special promo code OVERTIME. That's all one word, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. They are terrific friends of us over here at Overtime Media, and they offer a little bit of everything from the game lines on these games, series prices. If you want to do a little NFL, you want to go in-game, in baseball, football, basketball when that season rolls around you're able to do so at my bookie so a big thanks to them and now let's get into these breakdowns as we start with 903 904 on the betting rotation game one of the alcs Masahiro Tanaka goes for the New York Yankees who hit the road to face off against the Houston Astros as it's going to be Zach Greinke going for them. If you're looking at the Astros, you're now laying a bigger price. This line has started from, this line has come from the Astros laying about minus 150. They are now laying anywhere between minus 150 and minus 156. Meanwhile, plus price here on the Yankees anywhere between plus 135 and plus 146. in this game ranging between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, the over is used to minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking Looking at the nines, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between even a minus 105. And this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at Masahiro Tanaka and the New York Yankees. You take a look at Zach Greinke, including the postseason. In his last seven starts, he's given up four or more runs in four of them. Now, you do want to know with Zach Greinke, 
So many people talk about the anxiety disorder and everything like that. The fact that he looked a little bit shaky in his press conference, for one, it hasn't really inhibited him from not doing well in the postseason. He obviously got roughed up against the Tampa Bay Rays, but this is a man that has performed in the city of Los Angeles where the lights shine very, very brightly, so I don't think that that's going to be an issue. But what I do think is an issue is the fact that Zach Granke, ever since coming over to the Houston Astros, generating fewer than eight strikeouts per nine innings. Meanwhile, with Mr. Tanaka, well, on the road, he has not been himself. 6.05 ERA for the year, but I will say this. If you throw that... Boston Red Sox start on the fold over the last two and a half months of the season. Masahiro Tanaka's ERA was hovering right around a four if you take out just that one absolutely atrocious start. And the only reason why he was left in there to give up 12 runs against the Boston Red Sox in early July is because he wanted to help save the bullpen and he essentially took one for the team. And with the New York Yankees, you've got that four-headed monster out of the bullpen that I was talking about a little bit earlier. Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman, Adam Adovino, Tommy Canley. Whenever these four guys go into the game and pitch at any apiece, I believe that the Yankees are undefeated. They've been that good. Meanwhile, with the Houston Astros, Roberto Ozuna is a little bit of an issue for this bullpen, but by and large, the Houston Astros bullpen, also very good top five in the league with regards to bullpen ERA this year, but I think that Granke and Tanaka both give up a lot of runs with the Houston Astros. This is a top team with regards to runs per game at home this year. Meanwhile, the New York Yankees during the regular season, they played 61.8% of their road games to the over, and now you've got everyone healthy. Guys like D.D. Gregorius, along with Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Edwin Aaron Cardacion, guys that miss a lot of the regular season. They are back in the fold, and you got the unexpected guys like Cameron Maben, Gio Urshela. They're doing some great things with this team. You take a look at what the Yankees were able to do to the Minnesota Twins. 23 runs in three games with the same lineup. You heard from Steve Gardner that they used 155 different starting lineups during the regular season. And for the Houston Astros, you've got Alex Bregman, a MVP candidate that wound up hitting right around 300 with 40 home runs for this team. You've also got Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, and George Springer. All guys that hit at least a 280 and 20-plus home runs during the regular season, throwing their Yoli Gurriel as well. Whenever you need someone like a Jake Marisnik or a Josh Reddick to step up with a big at-bat, by and large, these guys have been able to do so. And Robin Cicerino at the country spot has been very big for this team as well. And for the New York Yankees, Austin Romine and Gary Sanchez, both very good at the catcher spot for this team as well. But I think that Masiro Tanaka and Zach Ranke are essentially going to be a wash. Both guys give up quite a few runs, but I think the Yankees bullpen outduels that of the Astros. So for that reason, going to be going with the New York Yankees on the money line and going to be going with this total over. Total opened up over eight and a half runs at minus 110 at William Hill. So I wound up blocking that in. Meanwhile, the price continues to go up and up and up with the Yankees. I'm actually seeing some plus 150s offshore as I do this podcast. And we move on to 905-906 on the banging rotation. The Washington Nationals are on the road against the St. Louis Cardinals in NLCS Game 2 as it's going to be Mad Maxers are going for the Nats. Meanwhile, Adam Wainwright for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your total on this game is 7 over juice of minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the St. Louis Cardinals, Getting across the board, plus 130. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Nationals, across the board, that is minus 140. Seeing one minus 145 at stations, but that's just because they put the juice a little bit higher. And with Mad Max Scherzer, when he came off the injured list during the regular season in those eight starts after the All-Star break, he had an ERA hovering right around 4-8. We saw him get off to that rough start against the Milwaukee Brewers, giving up two home runs in the first three innings of that game. But... 
in his last start against the Dodgers. He looked absolutely masterful. He gave up that solo home run to Justin Turner down for what? And then after that, he really settled down. If needed, Patrick Corbin could probably come out of the bullpen of the Nationals as well. He wound up having one really bad stint out of the bullpen during that series, but then he looked very good in Game 5 as well. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, Adam Wainwright in his lone start in the postseason so far this year looked absolutely terrific against the Atlanta Braves. He wound up going 7-3 to third innings. I don't think he gave up a single earned run, and then Carlos Martinez went in and gas canned the game. And for the year, Adam Wainwright set an ERA right around a 6 on the road. At home, ERA is south of 3. Does a better job of being able to limit the walks and the long ball whenever he's out there in St. Louis. And St. Louis won the top under teams at home so far this year. And with the St. Louis Cardinals, you saw it in that game against the Washington Nationals. And I was talking about with Steve Gardner. This is not a team that necessarily generates a lot of offense. You had Tommy Edmond along with Colton Wong during the regular season. Hit right around a 300, just below that. And Colton Wong during the second half of the regular season at a 365, but you can tell that he's not quite right. Now, Marcel Zuna in the postseason, other than game one, was actually pretty good for the St. Louis Cardinals. He entered into game one with a batting average hovering right around 400 and he had 29 home runs during the regular season and then Paul Goldschmidt has been a little bit up and down this postseason by and large he's probably the team's best bat 33 home runs at a 260 batting average during the regular season but that's down for Paul Goldschmidt standards you've got guys like Matt Carpenter Harrison Bader that have not been giving the team a whole lot of great at bats and you saw Anibal Sanchez wind up going seven no-hit innings for the Washington Nationals. That tells you where they're at right there. But with the St. Louis Cardinals, even though Carlos Martinez has been a little bit erratic, the guys like Giovanni Gallegos and those middle relief guys have been pretty good. You do also want to know with the St. Louis Cardinals, they were in the bottom eight in the league with regards to bullpen ERA in the final 30 days of the regular season. But for the entirety of the regular season, we're in the top five with regards to bullpen ERA and with the Nationals. Obviously, they have been absolutely awful with their bullpen, but with using some of the starters out of there, it's really helped them out. You just have to fear that someone like Fernand, oh no, Rodney or Tanner, it's raining runs or Wander, I swear oh, this guy sucks at wandering around to find the strike zone, come into the game for the Washington Nationals. Yes, I belted out all of them. And with the Washington Nationals, we all know about the power of this team. Juan Soto likes to get into the head of one Miles Mikolas, and is very good at being able to hit home runs off of Clayton Kershaw. He and Anthony Rendon during the regular season had a non-base percentage of 400. Both guys also had 34-plus home runs at over 100 RBI. Trey Turner and Meaton at the top lineup do a very good job of being able to get on base, and Trey Turner wound up leading the league in stolen bases during the 2018 season. Wasn't able to do so this year due to some injuries, but even guys like a Kurt Suzuki are able to give this team some professional at-bats as Zerubal Cabrera during the postseason has not been very good, but ever since coming over to Washington after a rough go of it in Texas, he was hitting above a 300, so you like that. Ryan Zimmerman had a big home run in this series as well. He was out for a lot of the regular season, so it's nice to have him. You need a little bit more out of guys like Matt Adams and Brian Dozier, but by and large, these guys have been doing a decent job, but this is a spot where I do think that Adam Wainwright is going to be able to show off his best stuff. I do think that Max Scherzer still a little bit shaky after the injury. I know that the Dodgers weren't able to get to him in his last start, but by and large, he has been hit around a little bit. So for that reason, I do think that the St. Louis Cardinals are going to be able to generate enough offense in this spot. I do feel like the Nationals are going to have to rely upon that bullpen that was dead last in the big leagues with regards to ERA, and I think it's going to bite them. So for that reason, looking at the total over and the St. Louis Cardinals, I think that money is going to continue to come in on the Nationals. So I'm in Wayne Seamode here on that St. Louis Cardinals 
pick. And with regards to this total, would rather take it on juice 7.5 rather than laying the minus 120 juice with over 7. Going to see if this either comes down on the 7 or gets to 7.5 before firing on that. So those are my plays for the NLCS and the ALCS for Saturday. A big thanks to our man Steve Garter for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Every big question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at GNRSQuarty1. Let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.